as leader, you don't step in, you don't give your opinion during that session. You literally just facilitate that meeting and you ensure the follow-up happens, right? So that's your task as a person facilitating to make sure that like whatever was discussed, you take notes and you make sure it comes uh, you know, to an action afterwards. That can be done by any team size, any business, any scale, any growth, right? And it gives people the opportunity to truly own what they're working on. We believe that to solve the biggest, most complex marketing problems, you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason, imagination and logic, the theoretical and the practical. Join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading B2B marketers on B2B Marketing Solved. We're your hosts, Richard and Benedict. Today, we have Incan Coleman Reno on the B2B Marketing Solve podcast. I'm really excited about this one. Incan is a, a senior marketing director at HubSpot, managing all of their EMEA efforts and teams. She's been an absolute revelation within that business over the last number of years. Obviously, HubSpot is a high growth organization with an employee account across the globe now. And it's a real pleasure to welcome her on the show. Welcome, Incan. Incan, would you like to describe your role to the audience? Yeah, sure. Yeah, my name is Incan. I'm based in Germany. I work for HubSpot, um, based remotely in Germany. So we are pretty spread out across all different countries and all different regions here. And I lead marketing for the European market over there. I run a team who is spread across three, four different countries now. Um, always have to remember where do I have people sitting somewhere and um, yeah, we do some marketing, obviously, for our B2B CRM platform. And yeah, it's been like a hell of a journey, to be honest, because I started in HubSpot 2013, where we were still startup. So I've seen the whole kind of, you know, from startup to scale up now to the enterprise. And uh, hopefully a few interesting things to share as well from my journey there. So today we're obviously here to look at the problem, uh, a problem that obviously there's been a massive clamour to overcome over the last number of years, given the uh, economic impact of the COVID period. It's around how to effectively manage a remote and also in, in HubSpot's case, international B2B marketing team. Question to kick us off is how have you managed to effectively transition to a way of remote working over the last number of years? Yeah, I think like when I look back, probably five years ago, I was one of the first leaders who went remote. Back five years ago, it was kind of like nothing we didn't really, you know, look into. It was like kind of like, oh, we have offices and these offices are actually lovely. They're great. They're great spaces. People love to come in. We had like a great culture in the office. And you were kind of in the kind of mindset of like everything has to be office bound, right? And then it changed when we opened up more offices and entities and people were spread across different continents, different countries, and we had to share, you know, our projects across. And then we realized, okay, hmm, something is starting to change. And people also started to um, notice of like, hmm, you know, sometimes I'm actually more effective working from home. So it started with like a couple of days. And then I started becoming the first fully remote leader. When I moved back to Germany, I was living in Dublin at the time working for HubSpot. And there was a lot of criticism around it initially because they were like, okay, how is this going to work? Most of your team is sitting in Dublin and, you know, we're starting to open this office in Berlin. You're not going to be in Berlin. 
And it took some time, to be honest. And it was really hard initially for me because I was the one, you know, who was always on the outside and the others were always in the office. And I think over the past five years, it traditioned to be much more of a hybrid after I kicked us off. And we had people join us, you know, remotely because we were looking for talent and we couldn't find it in Berlin, for instance, or we couldn't find it in Dublin. So we just said, okay, it doesn't matter where the person is, we're just going to hire the best marketer there is in this country. And then obviously the pandemic hit and we were like pretty much already in the midst of like, you know, working remotely with each other. So it didn't change that much for us, but it was definitely a transition over a couple of years uh, where we also introduced different programs. You know, initially we didn't have like a culture coordinator, for instance, for a remote audience of people and our employees. And now we have an remote program, a remote culture person who looks after everybody who's actually not been based in any office. So in many respects, you were very much ahead of the curve that everybody has now subsequently gone through. So if you were to think back to, I suppose, those first couple of years as you were going through that adjustment, two parts of the question, what were the biggest challenges that you faced? And then also, I'm really interested to know, what were the biggest criticisms that you faced from the wider organization and leadership, for instance, around that particular model? Yeah. So what was hard, it was definitely around building an inclusive culture where I was based as a leader remotely, not in any office. And we were having more people join from different different countries as well and uh, people having a different kind of background almost, you know. And I think like... Back in the day, it was super easy. You would just go into the office. You would just like order pizza. Everybody was there. You have a culture thing, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody is like meeting with each other. Problem solved, you know? <laughs> and then you had to kind of create this environment with people from different countries and in different settings. Some people were in the office, yes, and they wanted to also have that part of the office engagement, right? And some people were completely remote. So for me, I always solved for it for like remote first and global first kind of mindset. So whenever we had team meetings, you know, it didn't matter if five people were in the office and the other five were like somewhere else, everybody had to join over laptops. So it was like the same experience for everybody. And that's how I kind of approached it. And I, I'm still doing it to this day with um, always giving a common factor, you know, that everybody shares having the same experience. So there's no kind of difference if you're like in an office or if you're remotely. And the criticism I received, I think like a lot of people have gone through this, you know, like being present. When people see you, they expect that you work hard. You know, when people see you leave the office late, it's a kind of like normal, right? And as a leader, you're always kind of meant to show up. And initially there was a lot of travel involved on my end. I would be in the office like three times a week, you know, would go to Dublin, would go to Berlin, would go to Paris and I was jet setting and it was super tiring as you can imagine, right? Going to a different kind of uh, city every week. And at some point I stopped that because I was really only doing it for other people and other leaders to be there and to show up. Uh, My team at that point didn't really care anymore because we were so in tune with the whole remote thing. And I figured like the only reason I'm doing it because of my own insecurity, right? That I need to be somewhere present. And um, it took some work on my end, actually on my personality and my kind of confidence as a leader as well to change that and to kind of say like, okay, listen, I don't, you know, I, I will go at a point where I think there is a reason for me to be somewhere, but not just for the sake of other people seeing my face. 
<laughs> which obviously I think is probably a good attitude to have. And what would you say was the thing that you haven't managed to get right? I mean, you may say, no, I've absolutely got it all absolutely spot on. But if you were to look back, and I think that you've talked about some of the, the successes, you could say creating that common factor in terms of people being, you know, individually on a laptop for a call rather than collecting around a room and some people remotely. But are there any things which you sort of are, are looking back on, which are like, well, we still just can't quite get that right from a remote perspective? I think you have those situations, right? And I think like day-to-day operations, they work really well when things are going well, right? So when a business is doing well, everybody just do their share of work. It works perfectly online. Whenever then you hit a roadblock or you're kind of like, okay, now we need to brainstorm, we need to figure things out, we need to think about like long-term strategy, you know, something as leaders that we do, it's like past the, the 18 month mark. It's like, you know, in the future, next year, what are we going to do? Who are we doing to hire now for us to be successful in, in the next 18 months as a business? That's when it gets hard. And that's why I um, still believe in like face-to-face interactions. And I think I also do believe that you need to build a core relationship with your team and your direct reports to kind of instill that trust initially, right? It changes your whole dynamic. You know this, if you've met a person just once in person and you meet them again online, it's like a whole different relationship layer, right? And I think that is not something you replace by Zoom or by anything else that you need to travel, need to have those sessions. You need to still do some brainstorming and you need to kind of build that relationship fundamental kind of something that like it feels you like it's your common factor that you have together that you share right and then you can kind of build on top of that again remotely virtually that's really interesting because what i'm hearing here is you're talking about a remote remote culture but that's remote first but still you have to have those face to face interactions and i think that there are certain nuances with that, which I think are important, certainly maybe for this conversation, also the audience listening, because when the media or we uh, as individuals and business leaders talk about remote working, typically the first thing we think of is being a digital nomad or just uh, never meeting anyone in person and make and working fully remote. Now, personally, I believe that that is potentially quite harmful for businesses and relationships based on what you've just said there. How have the business adopted that? Was it pre-pandemic? It was kind of like it's expected of people to embrace this culture, but ultimately to see people in person. Or did you absolutely buck the trend for many years until COVID and then it was only really cemented in, in kind of the way that things prevailed after that COVID period? Yeah, so we did a lot of travel before COVID, I'll be honest, especially managers and leaders were really, really traveling on a regular basis and were meeting. And I think it almost it like went to the extreme that we did too much of it almost, you know, because um like people, some people also enjoyed it, you know, like hey, a week in Dublin, I take it, you know, at, at any time. It, it's a great city, you want to be there. But I think we were we lost the purpose of why we we're doing it, right? Because it was almost like just for the sake of, you know, we're all going to be in one office. But then people were like in meeting rooms the entire day because they have their regular meetings going on, right? So I think we went from one extreme with like a really hard stop with COVID hitting, like no travel, nothing, because it was just not happening. It wasn't possible to now coming back to figuring out what's the optimal solution, right? And what's the amount of meetings you need to have? And who should meet? When do we meet? And what's kind of on the agenda? That's, I think, where we're 
at right now. And we, we have resumed some travel. So was actually in Berlin this year already, meeting some people over there, meeting leaders that have just joined the organization to kind of give them a little bit of a warm welcome and ramp them up in person. And I think there are situations uh, where this is worthwhile doing still. And you talked um, earlier around that for those big strategic conversations, very, very important to be in person. But then you said for the operational side of things, actually, a lot of that can be conducted remotely. If you're to think about marketing specifically and marketing versus you know other divisions within an organization, what do you feel are those activities that need to be not I'm talking, I'm talking about operational activities almost within within the marketing team that need to be done face to face and which can be done remotely? And, and what, what are the structures that you've put in place to make sure you're getting the best possible results out of your team for specific marketing related activities? Yeah, I think like when you think about like work settings, right, you always want to have teams that share goals, share vision, right? And I think you also see when you scale a team or an organization that you quickly become too big to work together, right? You have a meeting with 10, 15 people. It's like super ineffective, right? Not every single person will say something within that meeting. It's just like, you know, it will end up somebody presenting, the rest is listening. So you first of all need to figure out like who are the core people and the core kind of sub teams that need to build that are small enough, maximum five people, I would say, to effectively work remotely with each other so that they can sync on a regular basis. They can spontaneously hop on a Zoom meeting if they need to. They can be in a meeting together, discuss things. Everybody gets to say something and be part of decisions. And then there are things that, like you said, like what do you need to do face-to-face? And I think that on the marketing side, there isn't too much that I think like you need to really have that face-to-face on an ongoing basis, on a regular basis. If you're thinking about like, you know, we need to run our blog, we need to run our campaigns, we need to run webinars. This can all be very well done remotely. You don't need to be in the same room. And oh, sometimes it's actually easier if you're remote in that way. Whenever you have certain things that like you record something, you might do like a video or something and you need to have access to the equipment. You know, sometimes that is easier to do in an office. I'll be honest, we're doing a recording, a customer success story in a couple of weeks. Obviously, this will be done in person, right? So people will go there, people will meet, we'll get it done. And I think, like you said as well, those kind of think big sessions, you can kick them off initially remotely. But I think then it is definitely wise to once in a while meet up for, for those sessions and to also bring in the team to all together kind of share some brainstorming sessions, I think. How big is your team in Kintori? So for EMEA right now, Jesus, ah, oh, it's always a good question because uh, literally people join every week. I think we're going to be, by the end of this year, we're going to have across EMEA around, I'd say like 50, 55 marketers this year. So, okay, you know, big team. Yeah. Say there's going to be marketers listening to this with similar size teams and even, you know, teams of, let's say, even 15 people upwards. And they're going to be listening to this going, I hear what you're saying. I like the idea of breaking it down into small sub teams. And we all know that ultimately, if they're managed correctly, you can get a very productive way of working out of those sub teams. But obviously, there are going to be marketers that are listening to this with challenges whereby they have 
maybe more senior marketing stakeholders within their team. They have people that are currently charged with certain things. How, in your experience, do you draw that line and that distinction and keep people motivated when you do break uh, teams up into these these sub teams? It's a good question. I think like um, we've seen over the, the years as well, that, like that our kind of uh, talent pool has changed over time as well, right? So initially as a startup, you start with like usually a lot of junior talent because you're just like, you need to hire people, you know, who joins a startup that could immediately fail after three months. Then usually younger people, right? And then you mature over time and you figure out like, okay, we actually need more senior uh, people to some degree because you run different programs. You need to have that kind of, uh, you know, knowledge as well that like somebody has failed a couple of times, knows how to do things and kind of can distill that information into the team. So I think that we have figured out like, where do we need those kind of core senior members in the team? And they are usually in charge of running either programs they are not directly managing people, but they run like projects across different teams. And I think we have very flat hierarchy in that sense that yes, there is a manager at some point, but I think you don't necessarily are a manager in HubSpot and you manage a project because you're a subject matter expert and you lead something. And then it doesn't matter if you're a manager or not. And that's how I always approached it. So if somebody comes in, has a major experience in like running, setting up a podcast and is a very senior individual. That person actually, you know, did build a podcast for us and has now scaled it across uh, the German entity. And there's like seven people now who work on that podcast who are actually not only in marketing. So that person has sourced people from services, from sales, from support, from marketing to work with him on that project. And we on the management side, have just really given the opportunity to like, here's your budget, here are your resources, here, you know, are the people that you can work with internally to make this happen. So it does require work and it does require a mindset shift, but it's possible to give those people those opportunities, especially at scale. You know, it becomes easier at scale, I would say. And that's the point. And I think that uh, maybe we don't have the answer to this on this call, but, you know, HubSpot are in a, a great position in that you've, as you mentioned, you've grown substantially and with growth obviously comes its own challenges, but ultimately you have set the rules as you've gone on. Have you got any advice that you'd give marketers maybe in more still high growth, but maybe more traditional businesses that um, already had quite a large employee base? They're adding to it, but they're not in the same uh, leagues when it comes to speed of growth as, as HubSpot. Yeah, I think like, you know, figure out your fundamentals. And I think like always a lot of people underestimate how much it takes to get your fundamentals right, which is like usually the content, you know, like where are your leads coming from? Really understand your flywheel. Where does it have cracks? Where does it need solving for? And really, I think for any leader, trust your team to point them out because um, I've run like quarterly sessions with my team on each market to figure out, you know, where can we improve? And this is like run by the marketers. I'm not leading that session. I'm literally just facilitating that session. So marketers bring their topics that they want to discuss based on their area. So somebody could come in around social media and could say like, listen, I feel really got this challenge. I just need everybody to help me brainstorm this out. And, you know, let's discuss this. Somebody else comes in, runs like the blog, says like, here's my challenge for next quarter. Here's what we need to work on. Runs that discussion. So it's very technical and very kind of in the weeds, but it's what teams need to be effective, that they feel that they're in charge of their own channels that they're looking after and can make changes. 
And as a leader, you don't step in, you don't give your opinion during that session. You literally just facilitate that meeting and you ensure the follow-up happens, right? So that's your task as a person facilitating to make sure that like whatever was discussed, you take notes and you make sure it comes uh, you know, to an action afterwards. That can be done by any team size, any business, any scale, any growth, right? And it gives people the opportunity to truly own what they're working on. And I think that's really, really strong practical advice. Uh, Inga, just to take you back probably about five minutes within the context of this conversation, and you, you were talking around junior staff and that being a necessity when it was in really that startup um, scale-up environment. Now, do, do you think that the remote model does compromise the development of junior staff, uh, both from a technical skills acquisition perspective, but also maybe from a sort of more soft skills perspective as well? I think that it does give certain people an advantage and certain people for for certain people it's a disadvantage right so whenever you're in a room and you have your body language you can obviously read a room and you can also help facilitate discussions uh, almost a little bit easier because you see who is participating you you see who's engaged who's not right and you can pick up on the younger people more so and kind of uh, maybe help them be part of the conversation in a Zoom setting, we often forget about this, right? Because we're like just looking or concentrating or focused on like, okay, this is what we need to get done. This is the agenda. And then you sometimes even zone out the faces because you have a screen in front of you and you don't see everybody else as directly. And it's true, right? Because you sometimes... Oh, no, no, it's t- totally true. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a very succinct way you put it. But yeah. yeah, you could be doing something else, right? Yeah. That's the other problem. If you're in a room, you're more likely to have your attention because you haven't got a screen in front of you doing God knows what. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's true. And I think like there you definitely, your task is to also pick up on those that, you know, are a little bit more shy and aren't usually contributing that much. What I did recently with my team, it's an interesting session we did was kind of a session we was called, what did I call it? Um, effective communication and like background noises. So imagine you're going into a meeting and you already have something in your background happening, right? Your head is constantly talking to you. This is like normal, right? Anybody of us goes into one-one, having certain expectations, having certain kind of assumptions on how this meeting is going to go. And like, also you have assumptions around that person. Even if you have never met that person, you kind of know, oh, this person has like a family. This person is like a director. This person is X, Y, Z. And um, this doesn't shut up. Your head is constantly going on like this, right? And it's part of being human. It's normal, right? But if you change your background noise, the whole meeting setting will change as well. So it's advice I give to everybody, especially, you know, in a remote setting, like (laughs) try to see if you can kind of change your background noise to either be positive, right? Or to kind of be completely open towards what that person has to say, to be completely focused on that person. It will completely change your, your conversation, right? So one kind of piece of feedback, I think, for more junior staff as well, because they're usually too nervous and they think far too much about how they're being perceived on the other end. I really, really like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, that's a, a wonderful piece of coaching advice. But just to bring, to bring it back to in terms of the, the compromise development, if you're to look within the context of HubSpot and you may be able to compare how junior staff have developed in the past two years versus how historically junior staff developed. Do, do you see any fundamental differences in the sort of either the pace or the, the ultimate sort of point of their development? Yeah, I mean, it obviously, this generation is very interesting because I think like 
they do somewhat value kind of the work-life balance more so than sometimes, you know, the money per se, but they still care a lot about career progression. So whenever we have this discussion attorney, everybody always expects like a promotion after every year, right? <laughs> and like, if we were to do this, everybody would be CMO after like five years, pretty much. So it's not doable, but like, what do I see as a difference there? I think that it has actually escalated some of the challenges we have a little bit more being remote because I think being in this remote setup, I think people lack the patience sometimes with their development. They think because everything feels like time must feel different, right? Working remotely for some reason. I don't know. Like it's just like, you know, I don't know, like the absence of time or whatever, like the concept of time. Sometimes people expect that things will just happen much more quickly. And I don't know why that is, can't explain it, but um, it seems to be the case what I'm seeing on, on the kind of career side of things with, with the younger generations that like, if something doesn't progress within like, you know, six months, 12 months, they're far more easy to give up. And that wasn't the case when we were like more in an office and we were kind of more in tune with each other. And we had like more kind of, I guess, like regular, more regular feedback almost to some degree, right? So I think that has escalated some problem where I think the expectation on the other side is like, okay, I need to be here in six months. This is how much I need to learn. Otherwise, I'm I'm either giving up, joining something else, you know, or I'm becoming very, very impatient and very unhappy in my role. So it's definitely a challenge that I'm seeing. I think that's a really interesting observation, actually. And I like the way you put it in terms of it's how that concept of chi time has changed and I can definitely see that in terms of your one's interactions within a work context when you're doing it virtually there is much more immediacy and it's often more transactional rather than understanding actually that full sort of context which actually is in part and parcel of any sort of like decision making so, so given that that is the case and junior staff are exercising it's also demonstrating more impatience they are in the nicest possible way demonstrating less sort of loyalty to a company in terms of prioritizing their progress what are the steps that either you have put in place or you feel should be put in place to help regulate that yeah what we've put in place on our end this year is a program that we sponsor way more education internally so i think we have a partnership we forge where marketers can like enter any education program online specifically for like different various skills on marketing so you could say like hey i want to learn more about seo i want to learn more about whatever it is the field you're working in so we kind of enabled that which is like self-paced and people can kind of own this specifically because i think what we need to get to is that people understand that careers aren't made by managers career <laughs> careers are made by you know the people who are actually working in that area managers can help Managers can enable and facilitate growth, but ultimately it's still your job to gain more knowledge, to, you know, work on your soft skills, work on your projects, to own your, you know, responsibilities. And I think that's something that we need to immensely coach much more than we used to. So I think it changes the way we operate as kind of leaders within the organization as well, to have like a far more regular cadence on like checking in with folks see how they're progressing, see what's happening. And I think I would say like, when we think about like how long people are usually staying, like we still have a really good retention rate on HubSpot, right? So people usually say like, with, especially in international marketing, up to three years. And I think that's 
for the industry standard, that's still pretty, really good. If you have somebody staying with you three years, then to also set the expectations on like, what do they want to get out of the next, you know, two years within HubSpot? I always ask them that whenever they join, whenever I have a conversation, what do you really expect, you know, and what is really important to you? Because motivation also differs by person. Some people are motivated by more money. Some people are motivated by more responsibility. Some people are motivated by being able to live in Australia and working there remotely or whatever it is. So trying to figure that out as well. Yeah, that's great. And I think that the that point at the beginning you were making around that career progression is around self-determination. It's not about actually sort of the manager trying to sort of progress for you. Just as you were talking there and you know, I think we also talked about it earlier the virtual suits some people more than than others. As you have gone towards more of a sort of like natively virtual model, have you seen the profile of people within your organization shift? And my sort of thinking there is that you know people always talk that people who are more naturally introverted end of the spectrum enjoy virtual working, people who are more extrovert enjoy office working. Have you seen, if you were to put on sort of a pseudo psychological hat, uh, psychologist hat rather, have you seen that sort of like shift towards more introverts sort of thriving and succeeding within HubSpot and extroverts leaving? Or is that just an absolute fallacy that um, people have within the marketplace? Yeah, I think to some degree that is true because you definitely see more people now that you clearly would point out as introverts being, you know, in in certain roles. So for instance, we have a big event coming up in London in June and it's a big group working on it, right? So it's like 20 people. And like back in the day, I think you would have a lot of extroverts on those teams, you know, working on events, working on communications, being like outgoing, like really enjoying that kind of vibe. And now you see that like a lot of people have joined who are like responsible for the production side of things, responsible for the website, like very introverted people, but like very obviously skilled doing what they're, you know, working on. But the dynamic is, is more balanced. And I think even on a leadership side, we've definitely also seen that like, Usually we had more of the typical stereotype in the leadership kind of group, where it's like, you know, male dominated, first of all, more kind of the extroverts. And now that is also, you know, coming more to a balance, which is interesting, right? It does change also the dynamic internally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see over the next couple of years as we're going to end up, ultimately, I think there probably is going to be a middle of some yeah. hybridization, but you are also going to get this polarization where some companies going exclusively virtual and then some companies and, you know, the civil service actually being one of them today, Jacob Rees-Mogg talking about how he needs everybody back in the office, but you'll get other organizations that go very, very sort of in person. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see is do we end up with quite a polarized workforce where people self-select almost their preferred working styles and end up in different sorts of companies based on that sort of instinct. So probably too big a conversation for today, but I think it'll be very, very interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, definitely. And for now, everybody has uh, three options by, uh, from us, you know, internally, like either remote, flex or in office. And we've seen that like when we did that survey for the first time, that most of the people we had um, went from office to flex and a lot of people went from flex to remote. So it, it does kind of uh, the whole COVID situation definitely has changed the, the, the preference as well. 
And if I was to ask you, it's a big question and um, ask you to sort of future gaze, I suppose. But if we were to have this conversation in, I don't know, three years time, you're still within the context of HubSpot. Which direction do you think HubSpot will be? And do you think it will still be that sort of try model, as you've just described? Or do you feel it will actually inevitably just go towards the virtual end of the spectrum? I think that, you know, the offices still play a role in here because I think every time I talk to, you know, some of the folks we have internally, people like that balance or like at least, you know, if you're close to the office, if you have the chance to be close by, to have the option to go in. And I think the, the reason people are going in is different because people want to meet people and not necessarily work in the office. <laughs> so I think like, if we talk in three years, I would probably say like our offices have completely changed. We've probably gotten rid of the desks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we probably have, you know, like a calendar by now to say like, if you join us in the office in this week, this is what we have going on. Or, you know, we, we use it for, I know that, uh, I'm not sure if you saw that in the news, but um, Salesforce has just bought this amazing mansion in the US, kind of a retreat for people to literally just meet and um, enjoy the time they have together. So they also know that like, changing the way that like we use buildings long term is also having an effect on like office culture and like kind of like how we we're kind of transitioning into the next working 2.0 yeah that's great i mean I, actually i hadn't seen this, the salesforce one but rich did share an article um, a couple of weeks ago which was looking at the different models that people have taken and and one of those models is that you are turning your office into what they're calling a clubhouse but it's very, very similar principle in terms of creating that incentive for people to come in, spend time together, rather than those sort of formal constraints that we had previously with uh, uh, rectangular desks sort of neatly arranged within a, an office floor. Yeah, it will take time there, I think, for, for this to get widely adopted. And then I suppose the next issue that businesses will face is the polarization internally as to the maybe more traditional thoughts about how the office should be set up versus the more progressive ones and to see how long that transition just in terms of the office takes I think as well. Yeah and then you have the whole challenge about travel as well right so the more you hire outside your core office cities how do you manage that you know what expectations do you set for people to come to the office how many times can you go how do you manage that budget so it definitely requires a little bit more workforce planning well, from a government perspective, we've also got to think about the economic impact. There's a reason why Reese Mogg is coming out saying he wants everyone in the office, right? Because he wants that to translate to the rest of the organisations to pump money back into the, the, the London economy, which obviously can't be forgotten because you're going to get to a place. And I think we're already teetering on that place where the government are talking about a slightly different message to ones that, you know, other enterprises and businesses are to their employees. When you were sort of saying your previous point, Rich, about the polarization internally, it sort of occurred to me to ask you this question, I think, and, is, and this is definitely a tension that exists within our organization as well, is that different teams, different divisions have different ways of working, they have different outputs, they have different personalities. Where do you stand on having different rules for remote working and in-office working between teams? Or do you think that it should just be one sort of like rule which sort of governs the whole organization so there is that consistency because there's definitely two arguments for that mm, yeah and we've definitely seen it internally also change over time so marketing was the first to adopt to the whole remote setting because i think in, in marketing it's it's naturally you know it's easier you know you have focus time you get your stuff done sales 
initially was very skeptical because they had kind of the, the fear of like losing access to their staff. Well, like, will people still do their sales calls when they're at home on their sofa? It took them longer to transition. And surprisingly, the organization who was most against it initially was our product organization. So developers, where everybody would have expected them to be like, hey, yeah, of course, you know, like doesn't matter where people are sitting and our base, but um, they were against it initially. And um, we had that discussion internally and then decided for any hiring manager, if somebody can do that job remotely or in another city, in another country, it has to be opened up in that way so that it's equal across the company. And it has been adopted uh, this way across uh, all the different departments. And we see it working really well because it treats everybody the same and it kind of enables the same culture across the organization. Yeah, I think that that consistency is hugely important, even if it means that there are tiny little sort of adjustments or compromises that might need to be made on a divisional level. When you're talking about building an identity, when you're talking about building a culture, there has to be that sort of common set of experiences. So yeah, I understand exactly where you're coming from there. Really interesting. So what I wanted to speak about, Incan, is is you mentioned that five years ago you made this move to, you moved from the Dublin office, right, to Germany. Yeah. Correct. And you then went to a more remote role, even though obviously you were you were having to travel. And you also intimated that this bucked the trend for the organisation. Now, fast forward two years from 2016, you then won... HubSpot's Great Manager Award, uh, which I presume is uh, one manager across the whole organization. Is, is that correct? Yeah. I suppose the question I have for you is, what happened in that two-year period for you to cement the idea for the organization that A, your way of working was something that could prevail, and B, you were uh, heralded as the greatest manager within the, the, the HubSpot organization? Yeah. Always nice to get quite a tea out, wasn't it? Yeah, just like expectations are high. Like, uh, what did I do? I think like I became almost like a little bit of a champion of remote work internally, and I think like I influenced a lot of decisions and a lot of conversations internally. You know, when we were starting to have um, challenges across various different um, situations where like we had opened just the Berlin office, we were about to open a Paris office, and then we had initially a lot of challenges to make that culture work in the office, right? And to make it then work with like remote plus just launched a new office, right? So that situation is like critical because imagine you have a well one machine in Dublin. Everybody understands like what HubSpot stands for. Then you'd go into Berlin, you hire completely new people who have never been working for HubSpot before, who don't really understand, like, what do we do? Uh, who don't understand the culture. And then you also expect them at the same time to work with all these other remote folks. It just breaks. It naturally breaks. It can't work, right? So what do you need? You need seasoned leaders on the ground or in like a lot of meetings to facilitate that, you know, transition. And for a company to become like a two-office company to like a multi-office company with multi-different languages, multi-different cultures is also a whole new game. And I think like I instilled myself into a lot of those conversations being, you know, also not an English native speaker initially, you know, so I think like that also was something that came up more and more. People wanting to have the same access to information, people wanting to participate in the same conversations, but without necessarily having 
100% the same language skills as everybody else, right? And I think I had a lot of kind of understanding for that uh, change to happen and um, influenced a lot of kind of the decisions we made on the culture side, therefore. And that probably led to this award where everybody was kind of like, okay, you know, she's gotten like <laughs> a great crew together. And like, she's been influential in like setting up a completely new office and completely different culture almost internally and um, helping us scale as an organization. And did you have experience of, of doing similar things in, in prior roles in your career or was this the first instance? Zero, because I think um, it is almost a little bit of a unique journey that we've seen, you know, internally with like scaling so quickly and, you know, opening up so many different offices. Literally every year we're like, okay, what's next? What's next? Where do we go next? Right. And it became almost like a thing of like, okay, another office, another entity, another way we want to scale and grow the business. And um, I think nobody had any idea how to make it work in a machine. That was the problem. We didn't really have um, people who were responsible for like different in-office culture programs or figuring out like, you know, how do we survey people? We always had our ENPS, so the employee net promoter score that we run on a quarterly basis where we ask people, you know, how likely are they recommending HubSpot for, you know, their friends to work at? Uh, what's not going well? You can leave comments. And I think we had like a lot of discussions on like, what do we need to do to make people feel that they have the same HubSpot experience, no matter where they work from, because people always have the sense of like, people are treated better in the core, you know, offices that were initially, you know, Boston and Dublin, because the office was nicer initially, you know, we, we might have had more perks there. So I think like that was a transition as well. And like, how do you equalize that experience and how give how do you give people access to the same kind of culture kind of parties or even remote settings that everybody else has yeah so the prevailing trait there is make sure that we can create a consistent environment for our employees which is easier said than done right certainly if you've got multiple employees in one location versus a handful in a new location we're going through that at, at the moment and it's it's not the easiest thing to do to make sure that everything you have in one area is, is translated because there are nuances with cultures time zones as well is a big factor how have you got over that from an international perspective Time zones are hard. There's no overcoming it because they exist. <laughs> it's a question I get all the time. I mean, they're just annoying sometimes, right? When you want to work with other people. And like, I'm in a team where my colleagues are in Australia, in Japan, in Bogota, in the US and in Sweden. So I've got like all of the time zones, right? And we can never like rarely be in one meeting together because it means somebody is joining at a weird time. And I think like I initially set the expectations on like, you know, it comes down to flexibility. And I think some people need to have the flexibility within their role, but some people they don't have to have to join a meeting at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. And I think that has also changed over the time that like our staff has matured a little bit more. People have family, you know, they can't be joining a meeting at like 6 p.m. It's the worst possible time even for me because I know like my daughter will want to spend time with me. It's just like a no-go. I'd rather like join something maybe at a later point. And I think it just comes down to us like clearly communicating and marking that in our calendar. I have like it marked in my calendars. For instance, Wednesday, you know, you can book me later. It's fine. I don't mind. And just like being really open and transparent. And we've gotten in a really good, good way there, like where people even 
block time in their account and say like, Hey, I'm going to the gym for the next, you know, 90 minutes. Don't book me. People like say like, Hey, I'm just spending time with my daughter for like this time. People have gotten more comfortable with like actively saying, I'm not going to be here on that time. Yes, no, here's how my schedule looks. And I think like I've introduced that into a form of whenever somebody is joining my team, they have to create a like how to work with me document, which has become kind of the holy grail of like, you know, understanding each other's schedule and each other's lives almost a little bit outside of work. Because when you're in office, you you talk about this stuff, right? More, you know, like, hey, I'm going to pick up my daughter now, or I'm going to do this X, Y, Z. I'm going to go hit the gym now. And if you're remote, you don't. So I think it's just about enabling that. Yeah, no, I really like that sort of how to work with me and getting everybody to sort of go go through that process. I think it makes such such a huge difference because without that, and certainly if you're newer in an organization, you don't have the confidence necessarily to sort of say, no, actually, I'm not available when you're working virtually. It is a bit of an invasion because you can just be relentlessly sort of like booked in for booked in for meetings and there is a disregard. So having that sort of transparency and sort of platform is yeah can make a huge difference i can see that yeah and we don't do meetings on fridays so we try to avoid meetings on fridays because they just nobody wants to be on friday anyways <laughs> you know everybody just wants to finish their week and i think that it has to come though from management you definitely see it different in every team if your manager does not show you that transparency and does not say like hey you know, I can't do this time and pushes back on meetings as well to be at a different time for the wider good. That has to be the dynamic. Otherwise, it's not working. Yeah, no, I'm very much a very positive culture. Yeah, uh, totally agree. We've covered a lot of ground today, right? And one of the things that struck me is, A, the speed of your growth, uh, B, bucking the trend from the way you work, but then helping a business like HubSpot, which is growing so quickly, forge a culture which, you know, even pre-COVID, this was a, a very acceptable way of working. What I'm quite intrigued about, though, is given the, the size of your team, the the international offices, etc., when new people come into the marketing function, uh, maybe towards the start of their marketing career, and you're speaking to them for the first time, how would you describe your role? How would I describe my role? Oh, yeah. It's a, literally just how like new hires asked me that question two weeks ago on Monday. They're working for like a coffee chat. They just joined, right? And they're always like, what do you do every day? Like, what's your role? I'm like, oh, I'm just like, you know, putting fires down. <laughs> I make sure everybody has uh, the the ability to do their work. That's how I would put it. I think it's a lot of kind of uh, thinking more long-term, you know? And also acting and analyzing where do I need to help or where do I need to assist? So I had this the pleasure of like taking maternity leave last year. And it was amazing. Good time off. And I had the exceptional experience of like coming back to work and being in this outside perspective, right? Because I was like gone for like a couple months and I came back and I like didn't know what was happening, right? Uh, HubSpot moves so quickly. So you kind of like, being thrown back into it and you're like okay what's going on and I literally just asked a lot of questions and I was like okay where do I really instill myself I could go back to the way I used to work or I could be way more smarter about my time as a mom now as a working mom now you're kind of thinking about that as well and you're kind of setting expectations internally and I did that after a couple of weeks of like here are the you know four or five things 
that I'm going to focus on the next coming months that I think are really important for me to focus on. So one, for instance, there was figuring out our organic growth for the German and the French block, because that was something we were kind of hitting a ceiling with. Then two, it was hiring. We had a lot of hiring to do, and that was something I picked up immediately. I think I hired like six people within like eight weeks or something like that. So it was a big priority for me. And then a couple more things. And then was really upfront with people on like, where I was going to focus my time and energy on. And I think that's um, helped everybody understand, okay, like as a leader, you can do so many different things, especially if you have so many different regions to look after. But there are certain things that you will pick as a priority for you to go deeper in. And the other things that are like working really well, you also be really upfront about and you kind of say like, listen, business as usual, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. You know, you got this. So my role, it requires going high and low at any point, right, uh, of time. Uh, That's how I would describe it. (laughs) I think that's a very, very apt description. Incan, it's been lovely having you on uh, B2B Marketing Solved. I think that we've covered a lot of ground. Definitely the prevailing things for me are around culture, the management style in in high growth, but also the acceptance that uh, different people need to work in different ways, but also the understanding that sometimes, you know, we do need to meet face to face. Certainly, I think you're totally right when you talk about meeting someone for the first time, the conversations you have on the back of meeting someone face to face remotely uh, are far more fruitful because you've just broken down a barrier that, that potentially exists when we're just completely remote. So it's been a really enthusing chat. Thanks for coming along. For having me. Yeah, thank you very much. And I think just to sort of echo that, um, I think for, for me, it's what we didn't even use this word, but actually what the really important thing is, is that you're thinking around this idea of employee experience. And actually, if you do dedicate the thinking time to around what that experience needs to be and what you need to get out of that, you can actually design something which does work for a number of different job roles, a number of different personality types and a number of different um, circumstances and have that flexibility to make sure that you're getting what you need out of people uh, when and where. So for me, it was, even though we didn't use the word, just that thinking about employee experience, you're going to get the best results. Yeah. Too many more years of like remote office in something in between. I think we're all going to figure it out. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Lovely speech. Yeah. Can See you later. Catch up soon. Bye. Bye. B2B Marketing Solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us, head to allen-agency.com and make sure to search for Marketing Solved in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in B2B marketing. On behalf of the team here at Allen, Thanks for listening.